Good morning, family of God. Good morning. Good to see you all. It's good to be with you. Yeah. Was it a good Christmas for you, I hope? I hope it had elements of joy, peace, hope, all of those things. For we have celebrated Christmas this year in the most unusual of years. 2020, and Christmas has now come and gone, and yet I really feel like many remain desperate for the message of Christmas, for the promise and the hope that was heralded by a Christ child in a manger. We long for good news, do we not? Yes. Several years ago, my brother-in-law, at the very tender age of 37, checked himself into the hospital here in town with chest pains. And we were all very alarmed for him. Uh, Dana, my wife, rushed to the hospital to be with her brother and her mother, and she had just gotten there. She had only just gotten to see him, only to learn that he was going to be whisked away immediately for more intensive care and even surgery because he was having an actual heart attack. So Dana recalls wondering if she would in fact ever see her brother again. You all know that wait. Probably all of us have spent time in a hospital waiting room. Yeah, yeah, they waited and waited and waited, and it probably a few hours. It probably seemed like an eternity. And finally, the, the doctor came in, and Dana could tell on his face that this was going to be the news that she was hoping for. And the doctor said that all had gone well, they had made the necessary repairs, and that her brother was going to be fine. So, yeah, good news. Very good news indeed, and we just had Christmas Day at his house. So, yes, uh, he's alive and well. But our world is desperate for good news. You know, amidst all that's going on in our world, this global pandemic that's still with us, uh, many today that are suffering physical and emotional anguish, there are uh, horrible uh, oppression and abuses of children and others throughout the world, impoverishment, economic hardship. The world is desperate for good news. Yeah. My friends, this, today we are desperate for the Word, for the good news, the Word of God. So I would like us to discover together, I'd like us to remind ourselves together of the Word, the good news. And I'd like to read together from Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 20. In this letter to the Colossian believers, Paul beautifully expresses everything, everything that I hope we embrace together and catch here today together. 
I'd like to read this to you from the Passion Translation. It might read a little different than your Bibles. But Colossians 1, 13 through 20 from the Passion Translation. He, who is God, has rescued us completely from the tyrannical rule of darkness and has translated us. Now, that means has moved us from one condition to another. He has translated us into the kingdom realm of His beloved Son. For, the, for in the Son, all of our sins are canceled, and we have the release of redemption through His very blood. He is the divine portrait, the true likeness of the invisible God and the firstborn heir of all creation. For in Him was created the universe of things, both in the heavenly realm and on the earth, all that is seen and all that is unseen. Every seat of power, realm of government, principality and authority, it all exists through Him and for His purpose. He existed before anything was made, and now everything finds completion in Him. He is the head of His body, which is the church. And since He is the beginning and the firstborn heir in resurrection, He is the most exalted one, holding first place in everything. For God is satisfied to have all His fullness dwelling in Christ. And by the blood of His cross, everything in heaven and earth is brought back to Himself, back to its original intent, restored to innocence again. The Word of the Lord. Amen. My friends, let's discover today what the Word is for us, what the Word means for us. For we are people desperate for the Word. We are desperate for the book. We are desperate for God's Word itself. Now, if you'll indulge me, I want to engage a little bit of Bible 101. Is that okay? Because I'm, I'm a teacher and, you know, I kind of do this class thing. And so, I don't know, I haven't talked to the sound people. I don't know if we have all of these slides, but uh, some instructional ones here. We'll, we'll see what's there. Yes, the Bible has past the test of time. It is known to be the most reliable, verifiable, ancient document in human history. Today, there are over 24,000 manuscript copies of the New Testament, written in Greek, written in Latin, or other languages, that are dated between 100 to 300 years from the originals themselves. And my friends, in terms of ancient documents, that's like yesterday. That's, that's close. The Dead Sea Scrolls contain every Old Testament book except for Esther. Not sure why on that one. But they predate the oldest manuscripts by 1,000 years. So by such measures, the Bible outshines all other ancient documents for historical endurance and reliability, and yet remains today an annual bestseller. Yes, and here we have this screen. You guys know this. There are 66 books that comprise the book, the Bible. There are 39 in the Old Testament. There are 27 in the New Testament. And there are different genres. There are different literary types of books within the Bible. And we may have that slide up there as well. I'm not sure. Yes, we have narrative historical books, which comprise much of the Old Testament. 
Also, the book of Acts would fall into this category. There are books of poetry and wisdom, and we tend to hang out a lot here as the family of God. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon even. Uh, there are books of prophecy, both major and minor prophets, which is a term referring to quantity of content, not, not quality, of course. There are the Gospels themselves, and we all know these. You could say that these are narrative historical books, but they're very unique in their depiction and their proclamation of Jesus. Now, the word gospel itself comes from a Greek word meaning good news, and it is good news. Amen? Amen. Also, there are uh, what is called epistles. Much of the New Testament uh, is among this genre. These are letters. These are letters to churches, to groups, to even to individuals. And then finally, we have books that are referred to as apocalyptic books. And I think of the book of Daniel in particular. I think of Revelation. These are prophetic, to be sure, but they also contain very rich symbolic language. Okay, that was Bible 101. Is that all right? Yep. yep. Okay. I want you to know all of these books that comprise the book, all of them are sacred. All of them are to be approached with reverence. And if you've ever participated in one of the huddles, I'll give a shout out for huddles. Anybody done huddles here? Yep. Yep, good. Particularly the teaching stream huddle, you know that all of these books need to be approached according to its literary style so that we best gain an understanding of what God wishes to convey to our hearts. My friends, the Bible is one of God's primary means of communication with us. The Bible is God's heart expressed to us. Now, I like to do a lot of scripture, so we're going to go through Scripture as I share with you this morning. We have a classic passage from Paul, 2 Timothy verses 3, or chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, my friends, Paul tells us the Word of God is, is here's a, a new word for you, theopneustos. Theopneustos. We have that? Yeah. Say that one fast, you know, five times. Theop, theopneustos is God breathed. The Bible is the living, breathing Word of God, God's proclamation to us of truth and life. It's the supreme source of light and wisdom to guide us. The world remains desperate for this word this morning, this message of life. And I want to share with you a little bit from the life of a Dutch missionary named Andrew Vanderbilt. And I believe he's still alive even to this day. He's elderly now. He's been a missionary to several communist-ruled countries and to China, to Cuba, later in his life even to Lebanon, the Muslim world. He's known as Brother Andrew, and what he would do was load up a donated old Volkswagen, and he would covertly, secretly take Bibles 
across the borders of communist-ruled countries. Bibles and other Christian literature uh, at the height of the Cold War. Now, if you're under 40 today, you may not know that term. It refers to like the 1950s and 60s, uh, height of the Cold War, which earned him the name God's Smuggler. My brother Andrew, and it, there's a book by the same name, which is a very gripping book. Uh, I'd recommend it as a, as a good read. Brother Andrew was wounded as a young man, as a soldier, and he accepted Jesus into his heart while he was recovering in a hospital, reading a Bible that his mom had insisted go along with him. So in his book, God's Smuggler, he writes this. He says, one day I asked the nun who came to tend to me how it was that she and other sisters were always so cheerful. The nurse replied, why, Andrew, you ought to know the answer to that good Dutch boy like you. It's the love of Christ. Amen. When she said it, her eyes sparkled, and I knew without question that for her, this was the whole answer. She could have talked all afternoon and said no more. But you're teasing me, aren't you? She said, tapping the well-worn little Bible where it lay on the bedside table. She says, you've got the answer right here. Now, moved by the plight of believers behind the Iron Curtain, Brother Andrew would go to border crossings, Eastern Europe, and he would risk imprisonment and even death itself to place the Bible into the hands of those who had no access to God's Word. You see, they were desperate for the Word itself. They were desperate for this, for the very words of God to warm and encourage their souls, to give them life and to give them hope. Brother Andrew would later write that as dangerous as that mission was, he wrote about the relative ease that he had later of bringing Bibles into China, that even printing and selling them there. He writes this, he said, clearly they, the, under, the Chinese government, underestimated the Bible, and this might be God's opportunity. I knew from personal experience how powerful a tool the Bible could be in the hands of the Holy Spirit. For hadn't I myself been converted simply by reading this book? So my friends, yes, this is no ordinary book that we hunger for today. Being God-breathed from God's heart to human authors to us, the Word of God becomes new every morning, becomes new every moment. The Word of God becomes the rima, and I talked about this in Kingdom Seekers. I don't think I did a slide of this. It's R-H-E-M-A, Rima. That's the quickened Word of God. Have you ever had that happen where you're reading Scripture and something just sort of pierces your soul, pierces your heart, becomes more alive to you? That's the Rima, that quickened Word of God that becomes alive in our spirit, truth in life that ignites our hearts so that the Word of God, the message of Scripture, becomes alive in our very being. The writer of Hebrews tells us this. Hebrews 4, verse 12, for the word of God, hear this, is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Yes, the, the Bible that you hold in your hands this morning, even the one that you read from your phone, is a living power. It's the inspired Word of God. It's passed on to you throughout the ages 
to pervade and saturate your soul and your imagination. It's there to convict and to comfort. It's there to instruct and to inspire. To open the Bible and thoughtfully, prayerfully read is to, my friends, encounter God Himself. Amen. Are you desperate for the Word this morning? As we enter into 2021, I I would pray that we can increasingly become people of the book. For the Word is alive and it's pulsating and it's available to you. We're reminded of this very familiar Psalm 119, 105. Yes, your Word is a lamp to my feet and it's a light unto my path. So read it. Take it in. Become people of the book. Now, not only are we desperate, many are desperate for the book itself, but we're also desperate for the word that is the message of the book. You know, much of humanity languishes in a state of brokenness, and the planet along with it. The word of God, the message this morning, now here's the spoiler alert, okay? The message is the restoration, the renewal, the healing of all things, all things. The Bible reveals this message beautifully from Genesis to Revelation. All right, we're going to go back into class again here. Do we have this little timeline up here? We may not. I don't know if it made it to there. I'll give you a very brief, quick history. Genesis chapter 1 The kingdom of God is revealed, and authority over creation is delegated to humanity, to Adam and Eve, to human beings. Well, it didn't take long, for in Genesis 3, that authority was forfeited. Go forward to Genesis 12 and the call of Abraham, and you see restoration, reclamation of the kingdom already beginning to unfold in human history. And Scripture provides us with a beautiful portrayal of this restoration. I'd like us to recall these words from the book of Daniel. You recall this story. Daniel, in God's power, is interpreting a dream for Nebuchadnezzar. We've read this passage before. Let's look at this. Oh, here's that timeline. Yeah. See, it didn't take long, but the restoration of God is happening. It's happening right now. Daniel 2.44, as Daniel is interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he says, In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. Now, Pastor Eric has shared this very passage with us before, the proclamation of the fifth kingdom, the kingdom of God that will endure forever. Isaiah gives us a beautiful portrayal of this truth as well, this kingdom restoration. This is a Christmas passage, friends. Hear this, Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, 
mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of His government and peace, there will be no end. No end. He will reign on David's throne. Lost my place. He will reign on David's throne and over His kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Forever is a long time, people. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. My friends, Jesus Christ is the agent of restoration, the agent of renewal, of deliverance, of the healing of all things. Father God, creator of all, sustainer of all, is forever in love with us, with you. He is forever in love with His creation. So Jesus, fully God, became God incarnate. He became human. He became one of us to show us God, to purchase our pardon, to establish our ransom, to reconcile us to God. Scripture, the book, affirms this. John 3.16, we read this just last week. Let's read it again. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever Whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And the Apostle Peter says much the same thing in his first letter. He writes, 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit. Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The Old Testament foreshadows Him, points to Him. Prophecy foretells of Him. Foretells of Him and His reclamation of the world. The Word, the good news, the message I want you to hear this morning is that God is forever in love with you. He is forever in love with you, and He has made, through Jesus, provision for the restoration of the world, and He's made atonement for you. Do you hear that today? To eternally restore you to Himself, for we were created with eternity in mind. Our destiny, through Jesus' sacrifice, is a forever dance of love with God, with our Lord and Savior. I want you to hear these words of hope from the book of Revelation. Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. John the Apostle, in his vision, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, we will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Amen? Amen. This, my friends, is the Word. This is the good news. This is the message. The kingdom of God is here right now, today, in our midst, everywhere, and it will flourish 
and it will endure forever. And in Christ, you and I are citizens of that kingdom. This morning, we are most blessed, most blessed. There is a someday, my friends, and it begins in power now, today. Okay. The Word, the book, is available to you today. The Word, the message, is alive, and it reverberates across the ages proclaiming to us today the good news. And yet, my friends, there's a bit more. Are you ready for this? There's more that we're desperate for, and there's more that is afforded to us. For beyond his book, beyond the message, we are hungry this morning for the word, for the revelation of God Himself, His very presence, the revelation of God Himself to us. So let's look to the writings of John in Scripture. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and I'm reading now from the NIV. In the beginning was the Word. There's that word again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, John's use of the word here is very special. It's a word called logos. Have you heard that word before? Logos, L-O-G-O-S. It's derived from classical Greek thought. And here, I'll just read you a definition. The Greeks thought it was a universal divine reason, imminent in nature, ordering it, giving form and reason to it transcending all oppositions and imperfections in the cosmos. So this term to them represents an eternal and unchanging truth present from the time of creation and available to all who seek it, all who seek it. So, my friends, John announces to us, borrowing from this Greek thought of his day, that Jesus is the Logos. Jesus is the revelation of God to humanity. He is the perfect, perfect portrayal of God. Now, many of you have probably heard this little short story, kind of a cute story. It was told by a United Methodist minister named Ann Robertson of the little boy who feared that bedtime moment when his mother would turn out the light turn out the light in his room, and he, being afraid of the dark and of being by himself, he cried out for his mother to stay. Now, being a woman of faith, she reassured her son that God would be with him through the night. <laughs> but mama, he cried, I need God with skin on. <laughs> you ever heard? I need God with skin on. Yeah. My friends, 
Jesus, the Logos, is God with skinna. In John's Gospel, chapter 14, Philip asked Jesus to reveal God the Father to the disciples. And you all recall this conversation. Let's look in on it. John 14, verses 8 and 9, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. He's grasping, you know, he's reaching, and I can just imagine Jesus going, you know, boy. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, God with skin on. Now, if you'll indulge me a little bit here, I'd like to reread from the Gospel of John and a little bit from 1 John, but I'd like to read it out of a passion, uh, the Passion Translation, a, a version I've discovered in recent months. And I'd like you to hear these words with your hearts. Really listen. Here is John again. In the very beginning, catch these words, the living expression was already there. And the living expression was with God, yet fully God. And jumping down to verse 14, and so the living expression became a man and lived among us. And we gazed upon the splendor of his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, overflowing with tender mercy and truth. You hear that? The living expression made his dwelling among us. Years later, John would share with us again from his shorter letters. He writes in 1 John, hear this with your spirit too in your soul. It's like he's recalling back very fondly. He says, we saw him with our very own eyes. We gazed upon him and heard him speak. Our hands actually touched him the one who was from the beginning, the living expression of God. This life giver was made visible, and we have seen him. We testify to this truth. The eternal life giver lived face to face with the Father and has now dawned upon us. Do you hear that? The living expression is life. Jesus is our life giver. The living expression is light. He shines through, it pierces our darkness, shines through our gloom, whatever we're experiencing this morning. Jesus personifies God's thought toward humankind and toward all of his creation. Jesus is God, creator and sustainer of all that is. That's the revelation, my friends. The Word, the Logos, the revelation of God in Jesus is for the entire planet. It's for the universe. And yet, I want you to know this morning, it's very, very personal as well. Very personal. For as we long for more of Jesus, as we long to cultivate His presence in our lives, the presence of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' Spirit, as you do that, Jesus will meet you in your seeking. Amen. My friends, nothing in your journey here on earth can replace 
the presence of Jesus. Nothing, the relational revelation of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Seek Him. He has made Himself available, revealed Himself, waiting to be known. Waiting to be known. Now, if you'll indulge me one more uh, quick passage here. For in my preparation for our, this morning, this time of sharing, I discovered one more passage that contains reference to the Logos, to the Word of God. Didn't realize this was here. And of all places, it's in the book of Revelation. Revelation 19. I'd like you to hear this. This also from the Apostle John. Revelation 19, 9 through 14. Reading from the NIV, the angel said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. At this I fell to my feet to worship him, but he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is the Word of God. The Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen. My friends, the testimony of Jesus is the revelation of God. Creator God who gives and sustains life, who made the world, will one day render the world completely new restored, renewed, healed, and you and I will reign forever with Him. Amen? Amen. Praise God. This is the Word, my friends. Are you desperate for the Word today? Now, Luke, I think the worship team can come back on up. Are you desperate for the Word today? The book, the message The revelation and the presence of God Himself is available to you right now. May you discover the Word today.